from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome, Giants fans, to episode 121 of the Talk is Cheap podcast, a New York Giants podcast on NJ.com. I'm Ryan Dunleavy, and I'm going to start with a Pat Shermer quote, and I'll tell you why in a second. New players, new relationships, clean slates, new coaches, new system. There's a lot of new running parallel. Well, NJ.com wants to be just like the Giants, apparently, because we have a lot of new running parallel, too. I'm obviously somewhat new to the beat, and now I have a new beat partner. I want to introduce Matt Lombardo, who covered the Eagles for four years for NJ.com and now will be joining me on the Giants beat. Matt has a radio background at 97.5 The Fanatic in Philly, where he was a host from 2012 till 2016. Matt, welcome aboard. Ryan, it's great to be here. New general manager, new coaching staff, new head coach. Hey, it really is a new season for the Giants and a new era here on the beat at NJ.com. And uh, I just want to say right out of the gate, I've really enjoyed working with you so far and certainly uh, looking forward to interacting with Giant fans on Twitter, or on the podcast, and really seeing what we can do with this beat to make it the true go-to spot for Giants fans moving forward. Yeah, this podcast has had a lot of success, uh, you know, in its previous iterations. I hope we can uh, certainly keep that going forward. I know Giants fans like it, and I know you and I are both very social media active. So I hope that uh, I hope that can continue. So let's get right to it, Matt. Uh, we're talking all about the newness, and it's a fitting day to do this podcast because yesterday was a newness day. It was meet the new coaches day. Uh, we've had interactions with Pat Shermer before, but this was really about the assistants, the coordinators and the position coaches. Give me your one or two takeaways from who you talked to yesterday and you know what really stood out. Yeah, Ryan, I thought yesterday James Betcher was really the star of the show. And he comes in, first-year defensive coordinator here for the Giants. But he's a little bit of a pedigree coming from Arizona, where he had some dynamite secondaries that included the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, and Patrick Peterson, an all-pro cornerback, some really good linebackers through the years. And I think that the biggest transformation for the Giants this year, regardless of what happens with Odell Beckham Jr., and I know we're going to talk about that throughout the course of the podcast, and really as long as he's on this roster. But I think the biggest transition and biggest change for this Giants team is going to come on defense, where it's going to be a 3-4 front. And Betcher said yesterday he wants it to be a relentless defense. And he really dove into how they're going to use Landon Collins, the fresh slate for Eli Apple, and a front seven that I think, based on what uh, Bill McGovern, the linebackers coach, did during his time in Philadelphia and a 3-4 under Chip Kelly and defensive coordinator Bill Davis, I think this has a chance to be a really violent defense that attacks the quarterback and attacks the football. And they've done a nice job upgrading this defense throughout the course of free agency before we even get to the draft. So, Ryan, I think that yesterday my biggest takeaway was James Betcher is going to transform not only the culture of this defense, but the scheme as well. Yeah, it's welcome news to Giants fans. I mean, it's no secret Giants fans, especially the longtime ones, beat their chest on playing great defense. That's how the Giants won some Super Bowls. So uh, that is certainly welcome news. I thought James Betcher sounded like a head coach. I mean, it reminded me almost of Spags a couple years ago in like 07, 08. Uh, seemed like a head coach in waiting kind of thing. Like if the Giants have any success, you'll hear his name on the market next year. But yep. here. Here are my two takeaways, Matt. I'll give you two. You mentioned the secondary. 
the Giants secondary was a disaster last year. I mean, they were bad on the field. They were, you know, headlines off the field. I mean, it was a disaster. For and, all the wrong reasons, by the way, those yeah. headlines off the field. Yes, exactly. A total disaster. And then they swap out Dominique Rogers, Cromartie, and Ross Cockrell, both of whom played well. For a couple, for some guys who are either young, like Curtis Riley, or question marks coming off injuries, like Teddy Williams and B.W. Webb, they just signed William Gay, which I think was an important veteran addition. Um, but that whole second, uh, just how do you put Eli Apple and Landon Collins in the locker room together after they, you know, were calling each other out in public yeah. last year as liars and cancers and stuff you just never see? So with Lou Anarumo and uh, Deshay Townsend how they would handle that uh, dynamic. I wrote about it yesterday. Um, the clean slate narrative, I'm already a little tired of hearing about, but uh, <laughs> I, I get it. It's a clean slate, but I, you know what? I really liked the way their approach was, you know, kind of to uh, sit down that, that, you know, they're not going to bury their head in the sand and hit and uh, ignore it. But there was a lot of, we're going to play as one. We're going to play as a unit. The kind of things you usually hear about an offensive line, they were saying about the secondary. Uh, and I think that that, without saying it, they were saying, we're going to clean up a lot of the nonsense is I think what they were saying. That's how I took it anyway. So I think that's important. And then I and think that kind of goes to Ryan real quick before we get to your second point. That kind of goes to James Betcher reiterating when it came to Eli Apple yesterday that day one is Monday, that whatever happened here in the past with the previous coaching staff, whatever happened with Eli Apple and Landon Collins last year, all of those things are over with. They're in the past. And to, to further that clean slate narrative, it really seems like the new start, the fresh start for these players and some off the field issues from a year ago comes on Monday when they convene for the first time. So I think that that clean slate narrative, there's something to that for the entire roster. But I don't know about you. I'm going to be really interested to see how long that clean slate actually, you know, holds up and holds water. Yeah. The first time that Eli Apple blows a coverage is Landon Collins going to blow him up. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, it's a nice theory, but I got to see it actually take some form. And then uh, the number two thing I wanted to say was offensively, again, reading between the lines, because let me tell you, with Mike Shula, you definitely have to read between the lines. He, former head coach at Alabama, now the Giants offensive coordinator, he isn't going to give the media much, I can tell you that. And uh, reading between the lines, I thought it was very clear that Mike Shula in his first seven-ish weeks on the job has been far more invested in scouting quarterbacks. He was at Baker Mayfield's Pro Day, Josh Rosen's private workout, pro days for Darnold and Allen than he has been in doing his in-house homework on Eli Manning or Davis Webb. Now, some of that is the NFL rules restrict what he can do with those guys in the offseason. But he hasn't even got he said he hasn't even gone back and watched Eli Manning's tape. I mean, I've watched Eli Manning's tape. So (laughs) so I don't know why I I don't know why I guess, you know, just doing his due diligence and Shermer's obviously going to take the lead in building the offense. So maybe uh, maybe Shermer's kind of taking the lead in house and uh, relying on Shula as a scouter. Uh, I thought that was interesting because it certainly seems like that's where Shula's focus has been since he took the job. And, you know, we don't know if the Giants are going to pick a quarterback at number two, but they're certainly going to be educated since that, since that's where Shula seems to be. 
Yep, no doubt about it. And he basically came out yesterday, Ryan, and he said that he thinks that both Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield all have a chance to be really good NFL quarterbacks. That's going to really, I think, play into what the Giants do with number two, which I think is completely fascinating. The Giants, in my opinion, they're in the catbird seat of the NFL draft. And we're going to get into this over the next couple of weeks and towards the back end of this edition of the podcast today. But I think the Giants hold all the cards for the entire draft at number two. But one quick thing before we turn the page from yesterday, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. It's something I wrote about this morning. Um, This move of Eric Flowers to right tackle from the left side, obviously it's a long time coming after he's struggled since being a first round pick in 2015. Obviously it was bound to happen uh, after the Giants made Nate Solder the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL during free agency and put him at left tackle. But talking to offensive line coach Hal Hunter yesterday, kind of reading between the lines of Mike Shula at the podium. Ryan, I don't know about you, but I think the Giants have the right amount of patience with Eric Flowers going to the right side. But as I wrote this morning, I don't think it's a given that he's the starter at right guard. And I don't think that they're going to necessarily hand him that job, whether it's drafting somebody in the middle rounds, as Hunter seemed to say that there's some depth at the offensive line in the mid rounds of the draft later this month, or he just gets beaten out in camp. I don't know about you, but I just don't get the sense that Flowers is going to be handed the keys to that starting job at right tackle. No, I would agree with you. I I mean, I think they'll give him every opportunity to win it. I think they probably want him to win it. But uh, I certainly think they'll light a fire under his butt, so to speak, by using one of their first four picks. Remember, the Giants have two third rounders using one of their first four picks on an offensive tackle who could play on the right side. Uh, I like John Jalapio. I thought he had a good year last year. John Greco's a good veteran. I see both those guys as more competition for John Jerry at right guard than I do at right tackle. Um, so I expect the Giants will draft somebody at right tackle and say, go win this job, Flowers. And remember, he's a entering his fourth year in a first-round pick. So the Giants will have to decide before the season starts whether to pick up the fifth-year option on him or yep. not. So I And to that point about the draft, Hal Hunter said that he thinks that while it might not be top-heavy at the tackle position, and I think he's right about this, that there are starting-caliber players at tackle that you can get in rounds three, four, and five, and that could speak to the, the wealth of picks that you just pointed out, Ryan, that they have in those middle rounds. Yeah, exactly. So we have made it however far into this podcast so far, and we have not mentioned the name Odell Beckham. I don't know how we did that, but that's we should get some sort of award for that. So, <laughs> um, all right. So now Odell Beckham. Matt, where do you think things stand with Odell? I mean, trade, hold out, trade, hold out, keep him, uh, injuries. And then there's a million. We could do a whole Odell Beckham podcast. Where do you see things right now with Odell? Yeah, I, I, Ryan, I don't necessarily see that the impetus to trade Odell Beckham Jr. that a lot of people do. I think that obviously the off the field stuff is a concern and that video didn't help Beckham's case or his standing with with uh, general manager Dave Gettleman or this brand new coaching staff. But I just don't see the upside of trading arguably the most dynamic wide receiver in the NFL who's 24 years old when whether you're sticking with Eli Manning for a year and then turning the keys of the offense over to Davis Webb or you're drafting a potential franchise quarterback of the future at number two. I just don't see the upside in weakening your offense that significantly by taking away your best player. Now, I think if the Giants are overwhelmed by two first round picks and maybe that's two first round picks this year from the Patriots 
who, you know, added to their draft chest by trading Brandon Cooks. Maybe the Giants pull the trigger on that type of a move, but I don't get the sense that they're actively trying to trade Odell Beckham Jr. If they're blown away, they'd make a deal. But I I think they'd be foolish not to listen, but I also think it'd be rather foolhearted to trade him and think that you're going to make your team better. Here's three things I want to say on this. Number one is that Patriots trade, you cannot make that Patriots. Number 23 and number 31 for Odell Beckham, no thank you. Don't want it. If the 49ers come calling and they offer you number nine and a first-round pick next year, sure, I'll, I'll take the phone call. But number 23 and number 31 for Odell Beckham does not interest me. Um, number two, I have been, I've written it. I've said it. I'll say it again. You don't trade a player, whether his name is Odell Beckham or D.D. Gregorius. You do not trade a player when his value is at its uh, valley level. And right now, I think Odell Beckham's trade value has never been lower. I mean, you take the off-field stuff. You take the fact that he's on a one-year contract, and whoever trades for him is going to have to give him $100 million on top of whatever assets they give the Giants. And you take the injury uncertainty. And look, we all think Odell Beckham's going to come back and be a dominant player. But until you see it, until you see how a guy runs on his broken ankle, yeah. you don't you don't know it. So to me, if I'm the other GM, I'm calling Gettleman. I'm saying, look, I'm looking for a deal here. I'm taking this guy off your hands for these three reasons. I don't know what he's going to be. I have to give him all this money. Yeah, he, he he could cause me all kinds of bad headaches, blah, blah. And if I'm Gettleman, I'm like, all right, then you don't want him. Hang up. So, right. Um, and then the third thing I want to say, and I'm going to pick up where my where our friend Dan Duggan, who did a great job covering the Giants for NJ.com, uh, you're obviously filling his shoes, big shoes to fill. Um, he always said this, and it's stuck in my head. Odell Beckham's off-field problems, and we have to emphasize this every time we talk about this, are headache problems. You know, he – you know, uh, this talk of a holdout, you know, the dog peeing celebration, which was an embarrassment, um, you know, not being able to control his temper uh, when he gets into it with other players. Odell Beckham in a league where, you know, former giant Josh Brown allegedly, you know, had a domestic abuse thing. Yeah. The Jets just had a wide receiver who said heinous things, who allegedly said heinous things to a police officer when he got arrested. I mean, Odell Beckham is not a criminal problem. And in a league where that, where lots of guys are, it's important to note he has not, that we know of, publicly been arrested. I know the video certainly raised some flags, but even the woman he was in bed with told uh, the New York Cowboys that Odell didn't do drugs in that uh, in that night. So. Uh, it's certain that video was certainly the first time that that's even been a question. So we don't know. He's never been arrested that we know of. He's never had a criminal charge that we know of. And I think that's really important because you talk about Odell's off the field behavior a lot. Well, in this league, off the field behavior means something different. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that the the best way to put it is, as Dan Duggan did, that these are headache issues. And if you can deal with those things and you can deal with the kind of character that he is in the locker room and the things that go on off the field, the party boat incident, punching a hole in the wall of the locker room at Lambeau Field, allegedly after a playoff game. If you can deal with those things, and I think that the Giants would be wise to, particularly 
particularly given the circumstances on offense, then you commit to him. And I, I think that maybe those off the field headache concerns are bigger issues. And correct me if you disagree with this, Ryan, and feel free to jump in. But those headache concerns, I think, hurt Odell Beckham more on the contract negotiation side than they should impact whether or not the Giants trade him. Because I, I just look at this offense and I look at this defense. And as much as we both agree that James Betcher has the chance to be a potential head coach in waiting, and there are so many infusions of talent, whether it's moving Olivier Vernon from defensive end to an edge rushing outside linebacker and adding Alec Ogletree and bolstering the secondary a little bit through this offseason, this team is going to win or lose based on its offense. And, and that's going to be the case this year with Eli Manning. It's going to be this case, the, year, the case this year if you draft Saquon Barkley. It's going to be the case in the future if you draft one of these franchise quarterbacks. And you significantly weaken that offense by trading away Odell Beckham Jr. And if I'm the Giants, I don't think I do it. I, I don't think that I trade him away just because he's a pain in the ass off the field. And I think that this offense with Beckham and, and with this quarterback and a rebuilt offensive line, you have a chance to be a top 10 to 12 offense in the NFL, which is going to win you some games. Yeah, I'm going to put one caveat on that. I don't trade him right now. I'm not saying I don't trade him next offseason if the stuff continues and you know I can put the franchise tag on him and play him and you know maybe trade him off another 1,000-yard season when he's clearly healthy. Um, I don't trade him right now. Maybe I trade him next season again if Eli Manning's not my quarterback in 2019. But right now, after spending $62 million on a left tackle – and sticking with the 37-year-old quarterback, I do not trade. I don't take away his best weapon because that's counterproductive. Yep. And you have to remember, too, that no matter what you do in this draft, whether it's adding a playmaker like Barkley or adding Quentin Nelson out of Notre Dame, having that playmaking element in Odell Beckham Jr. is going to make the offense better. And if you don't and you opt to use that number two pick on a potential franchise quarterback, you're taking away Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen's best weapon and their most reliable wide receiver as they develop. And you just look across this division and you look at Carson Wentz. He really took that leap forward when the Eagles went and got a uh, legitimate mystery. number one wide receiver in Alshon Jeffrey. Here he comes, Giants fans, Mr. Eagle. <laughs> and I'll go with Jared Goff. The Rams are loading up on offense and going out and trading for Brandon Cooks to build around Jared Goff and give them give him some weapons. I think that if you're going to draft a young quarterback, you do him an incredible disservice in terms of his development if you take away the dynamic pass catcher that Odell Beckham Jr. really is. Yeah, I just got one thing I want to throw in on this before he switch topics is for anybody who doesn't know, right? Like I always wondered, what, what are these things like that you hear as an NFL fan? Like, what are the owners meetings like? What are the what's the NFL combine like? And we painted a picture last podcast for you. What the NFL combine is like the NFL owners meeting is strange. It it's hanging it? around. And, and I'm not going to complain. Right. Listen, I was at the Ritz Carlton in 80 degree weather. So. Listen, I, yeah, I was schlepping around shoveling snow while you yeah. were down there rubbing elbows with Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer and then uh, going to SeaWorld and playing golf while you were down there. So uh, <laughs> no. I, I, no, no, no tears shed for uh, for Ryan Dunleavy on this podcast. Yeah, no. Uh, the first off there, we ne I don't play golf and we only could see SeaWorld. We never got there. <laughs> but I, could hear, I could literally hear the screams on the roller coaster from our hotel. That's how close we were. But um there was, uh, yeah, I just it was a it was an interesting situation because it was all these big names, all these coaches and GMs, 
it's it was almost kind of like being in a high school lunchroom, I guess. And who's sitting at what table and, you know, gossip from one table to another, like a big game of telephone. Uh, are you hearing this? Are you hearing this? And then, you know, almost to almost uh, camping out, waiting for people who, you know, don't want to talk to you to shove a microphone in their face. Because uh, really, you're there for four days, and the head coach has only required to uh, meet with the media for an hour, and that's really the only required responsibility. And to the Giants' credit, they gave us John Mara, they gave us Steve Tisch, they gave us Dave Gettleman. Giants beat reporters were fortunate that we had more than enough access, and obviously, that's how the Odell Beckham uh, trade talks got started when John Mara said no one on the team is untouchable, which I. I don't blame them. I mean, they went three and 13. If you, if, what do you mean? No one's untouchable. If someone offered me five first round picks for Eli Manning, would I take it? Yeah, I probably would take it. So yeah, yeah I, I don't think anybody should be untouchable really anywhere. I mean, tell me what the offer is and I'll tell you if it's a deal. So. No, I, I agree. But I also think that by answering that question, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just going off reading transcripts and, and what was written coming out of those meetings. You were there, Ryan, so you obviously have a firsthand account of this. But to answer the question in that way, when it comes to Odell Beckham Jr., especially a guy who is as sensitive as Beckham Jr. is, who seems to be in it. tune with what's said about him, particularly by ownership in the front office, it, it almost it almost feels like Mara's comments – backed himself into a corner where it's now going to be more difficult than maybe it should be to go back to Odell and say, hey, you know what? We didn't get an offer for you. Come back. Here's an extension for five years, $89 million, right? Uh, or it, it feels like they almost backed themselves into a corner where they might not have to trade Odell Beckham Jr., but I think it's harder to maintain that relationship after saying those things. I think 89 to $100 million cures a lot of things. I think, <laughs> I think if they go to him and say 80, you know, if they literally called him and said, which they wouldn't, hey, we tried to trade you, but we didn't. So here's $100 million. I think he'd say, where do I sign? So yeah. I don't think you'd have too many hurt feelings. Uh, of course, they'll tell him, you know, that it was blown out of proportion and we never really had interest in trading you. And that was misconstrued. What I really think they were trying to do is just send him a message that we're tired of your nonsense. And uh, I think it took on a life of its own. I don't think that's what they intended. I think they were using the media to get across a message that, you know, might, you know, might have been the underlying message in what actually came across, which is stop doing this stuff, make better decisions. I think Mara actually said better judgment. Yeah. So. And I think that's fair. And a lot of times coaches and owners and general managers will talk to their team or to individual players through the media. I'm just going to be real interested to see how this plays out and how the dynamic, uh, if they don't get a deal done, if Beckham does hold out during the voluntary mini camps or it stretches into training camp in the preseason, I'm going to be really interested to see how this plays out, the dynamic between Beckham, the coaching staff and the front office. Let's get to free agency, Matt. Uh, I know it feels like, it, at least to me, it feels like it was three months ago. Um, you mean it wasn't? <laughs> yeah. What What move did you like best at the job? They, they've added about a dozen players so far. Uh, what move did you like best? What yeah, I think like I, the move that I really like the best, um, I mean, I could give you two, but I'll give you one to start, I, I, is the trade for Alec Ogletree. I thought that bringing in a veteran linebacker who is a leader off the field, which this team desperately needs in the locker room coming off that disaster of last year, a, a guy who is familiar with Betcher's scheme a little bit because they were in the same division. He can be the quarterback of the defense. Bill McGovern, the linebacker coach, told me yesterday that when everything starts up, 
He's going to wear the headset helmet and call out the defenses. And I think that it's one of those culture-shifting type of moves and an infusion of talent that this defense really needed in that front seven. So my favorite move was the trade for Alec Ogletree. Give me your number two. I'll, I'll, I'll take two. Uh, the, the second one for me, and it, it's a layup, I think, is is signing Nate Solder. And I know that they might have overpaid a little bit, but this offensive line was a disaster last year. It was one of the leakiest in the entire NFL. Uh, outside of that 300 to 350 snap streak where Eric Flowers didn't allow a snap, he hasn't shown you that he can be a consistently dominant offensive tackle in this league. So now you have a cornerstone left tackle, even though you overpaid, but you overpaid because you had to. So... Teams that win and teams that win Super Bowls win because they dominate the offensive line and the defensive line. And I think adding Nate Solder was a step in that direction. I'll I'll be the pessimist. I'll take the one I didn't like. And that's Jonathan Stewart, the running back. And this is nothing against Jonathan Stewart. Uh, He's been a very good player for a very long time in this league. But that's the problem is a very long time. He's a 30 year old running back. There's mountains of research on how 30-year-old running backs hit a wall in the NFL, especially those with as many carries as uh, Jonathan Stewart has coming off a career low um, yards per carry, total rushing yards, touchdowns. Just um, I think his time has come and gone. And I know that part of the reason the Giants signed him is locker room voice. And I like what Shermer and Gettleman have done in the offseason in terms of bringing in a lot of guys who are familiar with coaches on this staff. So they're bringing basically character witnesses is what they have. They're bringing in guys who they know will be good influences in a locker room that did not have a lot of good influences. So I like that part of it. And I understand that that plays in with Jonathan Stewart, but to give him a two year deal, uh, I think it was 2.9 million guaranteed plus some incentives. Incentives is a good idea. Uh, but I just I didn't really understand it. Uh, and especially that makes me think that and we'll get to the draft in a couple minutes. But that makes me think that that being their only move so far, unless they're going to hand on the ball a lot to Wayne Gallman and P- Paul Perkins, it makes me think they're going to pick a running back high in this draft. So I did not wasn't crazy about the Jonathan Stewart move. And again, just based on facts through the NFL history and the Josh Morrow move surprised me, too. I mean, it just uh Listen, you're getting a guy who started 26 games in the NFL as a defensive end who knows James Betcher's system. Uh, he'll be a 3-4 defensive end here, and uh, he'll be able to help explain the thing, the system to guys, which is good. I get that. They got him on the cheap. It's like $800,000, but he's suspended for the first four games of the season. Yep. And the giant season was over last year after four games. So you know how important four games of the season could be. Uh, I, I thought it was curious at best, um, but who knows? Maybe Morrow comes in and uh, you know tears it up those last twelve games. He certainly would have, would have gotten a much better, more lucrative deal somewhere, whether it was Giants or somewhere else, had he not had this PED suspension looming over his head. And to his credit, he did post a note saying what it is, uh, you know, claiming it was a over the counter substance, whatnot. So that, you know, we didn't have to ask him a million times about what led to his test. That's always when I think of PDs, I'm always like, all right, well, you got to tell me what you did because I'm going to assume the worst. 
And and on the the Jonathan Stewart front, I, I agree with you. That's probably my least favorite move that the Giants or maybe even any team has made so far in the NFL this offseason because wow. everything you talked about with the 30-year-old running back and the workload and how those guys fall off a cliff, you put that on one shelf. And Ryan, the other, the other shelf that I think that you have to fill up here is that he's not exactly a scheme fit. I mean, if you watch Pat Shermer's no, offense point. last year with the, the Minnesota Vikings, they asked their, their running backs to catch the ball out of the backfield. It was the same way in Philadelphia when Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator with Chip Kelly. Uh, they were most successful with LaShawn McCoy as a running back as kind of a dual threat. That's not what Jonathan Stewart is. He, he's a guy that can run between the tackles. If, if anything, he's a third down change of pace type of a back. He's not a, a workhorse at this stage of his career. And this is a Giants offense that struggled to run the ball last season. I believe they were ranked in, in the 30s in terms of overall rushing offense. So they're going to need to do something at the running back spot, whether that's take Barkley at number two, whether that's take Mark Walton out of Miami in the second round, or Darius Geis if he's there, or Ronald Jones. I I don't think that they can go into this regular season with this backfield as constructed, and I don't know that Jonathan Stewart is anything more than maybe that character witness that you talked about in the locker room. So let's, uh, that's a good lead in, Matt, let's get to the NFL draft, and this is going to be a short topic, everybody. Uh, we will do another podcast or two before the NFL draft, one maybe during or after it. You'll have plenty of NFL draft talk from us. Things just change too much from day to day in this process. Um, but right now, as we stand, what do you see them doing with the number two pick, Matt? You know, I, I got to applaud Dave Gettleman here, Ryan, because I think that he's played his cards really close to the vest. I, I don't think that you can get a strong read about what the Giants are planning to do. They've scouted all of the, the quarterbacks, which they should do and any team picking second should do. Uh, they've tripped all over themselves in terms of, you know, how much they love Saquon Barkley and his skill set and what he brings to the table. And I think that he's they not only a generational talent, but I think that he's a guy that fits this scheme perfectly, bringing him in for a visit. It. They've done their homework on everything. Um, what I think they'll do, I, I think they'll take a quarterback. What I think they should do is you take Barkley and you worry about getting your quarterback later with a skill set that's rounded out with elite talents at every position. So that's kind of what I think they'll do and what I think they should do are two different things. It's funny you say that because I feel the same way, but I don't know. That, I feel the same way that should and should and will are different, but I don't think I have the same should and will. So. Since our last podcast, I spent some time with Davis Webb. I got to go behind the scenes with Davis Webb, uh, where he's training at Test Football Academy and Rutgers, two places I know very well. Um, And I was really impressed by Davis Webb. Obviously, I didn't cover this team last year. Neither did you. So I didn't get to know Davis Webb at all last year. But in a couple hours, I was Neither did the Giants, by the way. Huh? (laughs) Neither did the Giants, by the way. And the new (laughs) coaching staff hasn't been been shy to – to wonder out loud how Davis Webb didn't play last year. Um, so, uh, but I was very impressed with him. I came, came away, you know, all those cliches, a guy who's, who's passionate, who's committed, who loves football, all those things. Listen, can he read a defense? I can't tell you that from watching him practice in a bubble, uh, in shorts with no defense. Uh, can he handle blitzes, all those kind of things. That's going to make or break Davis Webb. And the Giants are going to give Davis Webb a showcase right before the draft in their three-day uh, mini camp. So I think those three days will determine a lot of what the Giants end up doing and their impression of Davis Webb. 
think he'll get a lot of snaps those days. I wouldn't expect to see a whole lot of Eli Manning in those days. Um, so, uh, but I came away, I got to say, I came away really impressed with Davis Webb. I was team have to draft a quarterback. I'm less team have to draft a quarterback now. And, there you go. Uh, but what I think they will do back to my original question, which I posed to you and now I'll get back to myself is I think it really depends on Sam Darnold. And I think if the Browns pick Sam Darnold, I think today, I think the giants will pick Saquon Barkley. And I, I think if Sam, if the Browns at number one, pick Josh Allen, then I think the Giants will probably pick Sam Darnold. I think that's the quarterback they like. You've read that elsewhere. I've heard that a few places. I think that's the quarterback they really like. I don't think they'll force a quarterback. Uh, I don't think Dave Gettleman's been pretty clear. You don't force a quarterback just at number two just because you're picking number two or any position. You don't force a position of need at number two. You take uh, somebody you hope is a Hall of Fame caliber player. So – I think that they might see that in Darnold. I definitely th- think they see that in Saquon Barkley and Quentin Nelson. Uh, my only thing would be maybe they trade down, and Dave Gettleman has not ever traded down ever with the Carolina Panthers during his four years as GM. So will he do that? I don't know. He's never had a pick this high. He did pick Christian McCaffrey, a running back at number eight uh, or seven last year. So he's certainly not shy about picking a running back high in the draft, which, uh, you know, plays towards Barkley. I think they love Quentin Nelson. If the giants could trade down to, you know, five, six, seven, and end up with Quentin Nelson, I wouldn't, I don't think they'd be disappointed at all. I agree. And I think that if you're looking to build out an offense around a quarterback who's ultimately going to replace Eli Manning, whether that's Davis Webb or whether that's a quarterback next year or the year after, I think adding Barkley rounds out this offense because you can do so many things with him. You can put him in the slot. You can throw it to him out of the backfield. You can line him up in the slot, put him in motion with a running start to get a handoff out of the backfield. He's great as a pass blocker in terms of picking up blitzes. And I think that if you're the Giants, sure, you can take the quarterback now. And I think that if it's Sam Darnold and that's your guy and you believe that he's the best in this class, then you absolutely have to take the quarterback because that's the most important position on any football team. But Ryan, I just believe that whether it's Eli this year or a quarterback next year, the best possible scenario, and I think the one that elevates this team to success the quickest, is to draft Barkley, and you can line up with Sterling Shepard, Odell Beckham Jr., Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley around your quarterback. And that's a nightmare for opposing defensive coordinators. And the Eagles showed last year. The Rams have showed before. You can get a quarterback. You can trade up to get a quarterback without hurting yourself too much in terms of future draft capital. And if the Giants fill all these needs on offense and their defense you know, plugs along and you add some things through free agency, you can go get your quarterback. You don't have to take him at number two. Yeah, that's what the Bills are trying to do this year, it seems. Yep. So, yeah. Um, all right, that should do it, I think, for uh, our debut together. It was fun, Matt. I appreciated it. It's uh, look forward to working with you. It should be a blast, Ryan. This was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing a lot of these uh, as often as we can through the offseason and then uh, cranking out all the content we can together on NJ.com. Yep. So, uh, all right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can find us on this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you're listening on iTunes and you liked it, we'll take a five-star rating. We'd appreciate that. And definitely like us on YouTube. Until then, uh, make sure to follow us on nj.com slash giants. And we'll have plenty of draft coverage for you over the next couple weeks.